Welcome back. It's episode 41 of The Build. We're in our Paul Byron era, our Yaroslav Halak chapter, our Eric Fichaud moment. Moment felt especially right for Fichaud. Uh, just two games with the Canadians for the Quebec native. They were his last two in the NHL as well. And they are pretty fun. You want to hear about him? Of course you do. Uh, his first game was a relief appearance against Washington, where he gave up just one goal on 18 shots and still got hit with the loss because the only goal he gave up was, in fact, the game winner. His second game was a 6-1 loss to the Maple Leafs at home the day after that loss to Washington. He started the game, gave up three. They, they yanked him. They put Jose Teodor back in. He also gave up three. They lost 6-1. Uh, those games are important because they were five straight losses for the Canadians at the beginning of the 2000-2001 season. And uh, the day after that second loss, they fired everybody. <laughs> um, head coach Alain Vigneault was let go. General manager Rajon Wu was let go. And Michel Therrien was named the head coach. And Andre Savard, the general manager. So pretty funny, like, just how... You know, a, a guy played two games for the Canadians, and they they were potentially the, the most pivotal games of that decade for them. You know, that sort of flip, um, you know, changing organization or changing their front office around. It's pretty funny. Um, on the other hand, Halak and Byron are legit guys for uh, my fan, fans of, of my age. Um, they are... Halak, that 2010 run was something that we've never, we hadn't seen before. My, you know, fans of my generation um, probably still haven't seen from a goaltending standpoint. I know Price was great in the other ones, but like Halak straight up stole every game the Canadians won in that 2010 uh, playoff. Um, and uh, Paul Byron, like what can you say about, about him? He's likely one of the greatest waiver claims in NHL history. Um Another victim to the Habs injury-plagued uh, era, you know, we're seeing the end of, you know, Carey Price, Shea Weber, Brennan Gallagher still trying, um, Paul Byron likely to not play again. I hope they find a way to keep him around once his playing days are officially over. Um, not too much to discuss in this one that's brand new. I expect news to be pretty slow between now and the end of the season, but it's been especially quiet since the trade deadline that was already quiet. Um... But we did get some news this morning, so that seems like a good place to start. And that is on Jaden Struble. On Wednesday, the Montreal Canadiens announced that they had come to terms on a two-year entry-level deal with the NCAA defenseman Jaden Struble. Left-hand shot, 21 years old. Um, because he's 21 years old, that's why it's a two-year entry-level deal. Um, it keeps him from hitting free agency. The contract does not start until next season. So, you know, they're not wasting a year of eligibility this year. Um, he instead signs an AHL contract. He will play in Laval for the remainder of the season and help them out on their playoff push. Uh, second round pick in the 2019 draft, 46th overall. He played all four seasons at Northeastern. Three of those seasons were played with, you know, current Montreal Canadiens defenseman Jordan Harris. Um, his last NCAA season saw him appear in 31 games. He scored once. He grabbed 11 assists for 12 total points. Hockey DB has him listed at six foot, uh, 205 pounds, but we all know player measurements are more art than science when it comes to you know prospects. They 
they goose those numbers uh, quite a bit. Um, I know he signed an entry-level deal in the NHL, but I I mean, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't really see him playing a significant NHL role for some time. Um, he, he's never played professional hockey, so we have to give him time to work on that. The Canadians have an absolute logjam on the blue line that's going to need to be worked out. Um, Montreal has the following defensemen under NHL contract next season. This isn't an exhaustive list. It's not all of them. Because a lot of the guys who might be on NHL deals, like their entry-level deals, they'll probably play in the AHL. But these are guys who will likely expect to have or compete for NHL spots. Mike Matheson, Joel Edmondson, Chris Weidman, David Savard, Caden Gooley, Jordan Harris, Justin Barron, Arbor Jacki, Jonathan Kovacevic. That's nine players on defense. Um, something has to give back there. I tweeted that list out. Um, this morning after seeing the Struble news. And I think people, you know, people took that to think that I think all of those players will be back next year. I don't. That's why I said something has to give. Like the full expectation is that they're going to have to move some bodies around back there in order to create enough um, playing time for everybody. And all of that's entirely separate from the Struble conversation. And we'll stick in that tangent for a second and then get back to, you know, the, the matter at hand. But this is likely a, a topic the Canadians are already, you know, starting to discuss internally. Remember last season when, after the trade deadline, the Canadians played Alex Romanoff like 25 minutes a night? Um, I wonder if someone gets that kind of treatment between now and the end of the year. Um, maybe not a young guy. Um, the, the odd man out, you know, outside of Edmondson, who's, you know, he's already on sort of borrowed time in Montreal. And Chris Weidman, who's going into the last year of his deal, and he's already kind of on the outs. He's just not playing regularly. Um, outside of that, like Jonathan Kovacevic has been a guy who it seems like he'd be the odd man out. Um, I wonder if Montreal tries to showcase him a little bit before the end of the year. I am not a proponent of a Jonathan Kovacevic trade for the sake of making a Jonathan Kovacevic trade. But it might be something that has to happen. Like, like, look at that. <laughs> There's just not enough room. And yeah, it would be nice if they could move like a David Savard. But they really like David Savard internally. And I don't know that another team would value him the same way the Canadians do. Um, again, this, this, this show has always served to understand Kent Hughes and Jeff Gordon in the way they think. I would trade David Savard over Kovacevic. But that's not my call. Right, like it's not up to us. This is understanding how they would they would approach this, and then you know criticizing that, um, you know, should those events come to pass. And you know, the logjam that's back there isn't some kind of fan created narrative that we often have. It's very real. Kent Hughes had the the following to say at the general manager meetings. Um, this is from Eric Engels on Twitter. Quote, we had to show him we had a plan and a place for him. It's certain we're placing a ton of emphasis on development, and we're making it clear we have a good place to develop. Which is refreshing to read. Um, it shows that Hughes knows how crowded that blue line is. And for for starters, like he knows that from the outside looking in, it looks kind of odd for them to be signing another young defenseman when they've already got a whole bunch. So they must have some plan in place to create space for these guys over the next year or so. Um, but it's also refreshing because, like, I, I don't recall 
the last front office ever talking like this. Never saying like, yep, they're coming in here and we're going to work on them. We're going to work with them on their development. It was just sort of like, you're a Montreal Canadian now. So definitely refreshing to read. Um, but back to uh, Jaden Struble. What do the Canadians get in him? From the, the, the prospect folks that I follow, it seemed to be ooh, it seems to be a, um, a bit of a, uh, a split room here. Um, Byron Bader of, at, of HockeyProspecting.com, uh, he gives him a potential ceiling of a guy like an Adam Pellick, um, defenseman for the Islanders, stable defenseman, 21 minutes a night, not a ton of offense, but that's you know not why you get a guy like him. If that's the case, then, you know, we're, and that, that being a potential ceiling for, for Struble. If that's the case, you know, if the Canadians manage to turn him into a good penalty killer, um, he probably earns a role on the team for that sake alone because their penalty kill is terrible. And there's probably room within this roster, within this group of young defensemen for a guy who can kill penalties really well. Um, and that's something that all hockey teams need. But um, Hattie K scouting on Twitter at Hattie K underscore uh, scouting. He had the following to say. It's a bit of a, a of a thread here, so I'll, I'll read it, and then we'll, uh, we'll break it down. A lot of people have looked at the stat sheets and decided that the newly signed Jaden Struble doesn't have any offensive upside. I'd argue that Struble has more offensive upside than any defenseman currently with the Habs or Rocket. The movement he displays on and off the puck, the intelligence and subtlety of his puck distribution and poise, the way he fearlessly jumps into plays and never settles for the first play he sees. Habs fans are going to love Struble. He's also extremely physical. Um, to clarify, the key word here is offensive upside. He's not going to step in and put up 50 points, nor is it guaranteed. But he's got the potential to become one of the best offensive transitioners in the NHL. So vastly different takes on Jaden Struble here. Um, if he ends up being the latter, if he ends up being the, you know, the more... Um, I, I, and I don't say this to say that Hattie's saying this just to be optimistic, but in relation, it is just a more optimistic outlook on, on a second-round draft pick um, defenseman in Jaden Struble. If he ends up being that, that's, a, that's quite a haul for the Canadians um, to get out of a second-round pick. Um, I, I, I honestly have no idea where, where he projects. Um, I know that Hattie is a, you know, an eyeball scout. He's looking at him play. And I know Byron Bader, um, he's, his hockey prospecting model kind of predicts out these comparisons. So like with all things, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. Um, but, you know, it would be a really nice thing if he turned out the way Hattie explained. But as, as I've explained a bunch on here, as we'll continue to explain as this team um, comes into its own, there are a lot of pieces back there on defense and they're going to have to play their way onto this roster it's a good problem for the canadians to have um it's a bad problem for us as fans because uh i i wouldn't buy a jersey with a defenseman on the back of it i just don't know like yeah like there's probably some locks like Caden Gooley, but outside that like there's just there's a lot of opportunities there for different players to steal roles um as soon as this upcoming training camp so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, that's enough on Struble. Looking forward to, to his start. Um, but I wanted to move on to something else that I've been thinking about, and that's pro scouting. Um, watching Denis Gurionov sort of be what he was billed to be, um, 
got me thinking a little bit about, you know, the Canadians pro scouting department. For those who might be unaware, pro scouting, you know, there's amateur scouting where they're going and they're watching draft eligible players or, you know, uh, unsigned uh, college athletes, something like that. Pro scouting is, you know, it's, it's almost exactly as it sounds. You're going to pro leagues and you're watching professionals play and then, you know, you're, you're analyzing them from that perspective. Um, we don't have a ton to work off just yet, but their trades involving their trades or their, their acquisitions involving NHL players have been pretty good so far. Um, the Matheson trade is proving to be a success early on. They got a younger player, um, for Jeff Petrie and probably one who projects to be a little bit, you know, better at this current moment, which matters. Um, and he's just been like, Matheson has just sort of come into his own as a number one defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens, which is not something I thought would happen this season. Um, but he's been excellent, and he's loads of fun to watch too, which is entirely separate from the good or not good aspect of this. But he's been exceptional. Um, Kirby Doc, that's I'm sure amateur scouting had a little bit of, of work on that um, because he was so young when the Canadians acquired him, but he was a pro, right? Like we're, we're probably going off of some kind of pro scouting information making that trade. Um, flipping Dodonov for Gurionov has strong returns early. Um, you know, Gurionov, I think he's got three goals now. Maybe it's just two, but I think it's at least two, maybe three. Um, trading Lekin and Stung, he's still very good as he showed in his return to Montreal where he scored two goals and then promptly broke a finger. Um, so that one stung, but Justin Barron has been very good. I think in the time that he's been in Montreal, he's been really, really good. And we saw it in that Pittsburgh game. He had an absolute bomb of a breakaway pass to um, Anthony Richard. Something that we haven't seen a ton of from this roster. If he can, if that can be his game where he's the, the breakout pass guy, like that's going to be excellent for the Canadians long term. Yes, losing Lekkanen sucks, but... Justin Barron, when he was acquired, he was a professional hockey player. He was playing in the AHL, um, the Colorado Eagles. Um, so that's a pro scouting move, I imagine. I imagine some, again, because he's so young, the amateur scouts probably had something to do with it as well. But pro scouting ultimately saw him play at the AHL level. And finally, a trade. This wasn't even a trade, but claiming Jonathan Kovacevic on waivers was a nice move. Not a trade, like I said, but it still involves some knowledge of a professional hockey player to pull it off. Yes, this is his rookie NHL season, but he's been playing in the AHL for the Manitoba Moose of the uh, the Winnipeg Jets organization. I wouldn't consider the Monaghan trade to be part of this because, like, I don't know how much of this was reliant on pro scouting. Because the bet was always, if he stays healthy, we're going to be able to turn him into more assets later on. We know he's good. You know, it's just sort of, you know, is he going to stay healthy? Which he obviously didn't, which is a bummer, but it is what it is. Um, all of these moves were likely made with massive input from the pro scouting team. So I kind of, I wanted to look at like who actually makes up that team. Um, in short, they've only got four people really listed as part of that. Um, and one of them wasn't even on their website, wasn't listed under the pro scouting section. He was listed under the amateur scouting section. But we'll start with our director of professional scouting. It's Eric Crawford, um, brother of 
former NHL coach Mark Crawford. I don't know that he's coaching anywhere. He might is he in Ottawa? He's somewhere. I can't remember where. Um, Eric was part of the Canucks organization during the height of the Sedin years as their director of pro scouting. So he's doing the same in Montreal. Uh, Vincent Riondeau, uh, he is the goalie and pro uh, goalie and Russian pro scout, which is a very odd combination. Um, he's been with the organization since 2013 or 2012-13 um, when he was a goalie coach for the Hamilton Bulldogs. He's been assistant GM for whatever the Habs affiliate in the AHL was director of player development, scout, and now he's listed as a goalie and Russia pro scout, which is odd. I don't know that I've ever seen that anywhere else. Um, Reed Simpson is a pro scout. It just says pro scouting West under him on the the, the page. Uh, he started with the Canadians in 1617. He's a Manitoba guy, so it makes sense that he's their Western scout. Um, and lastly, uh, Hanu Laine, he's a pro and amateur scout Um in Europe for the Montreal Canadiens. He's been a Canadian scout since the year 2000. Since we remember Eric Fichot, who I was just talking about, that was the same year that, that Hanu Laine was brought in to be a scout for the Montreal Canadiens. So he's been here a long time, which is like, and I hope I'm not coming off as rude when I say this, which is surprising given the fact that the Canadians have sucked at drafting for 20 years. Like it's odd that that anyone has stuck around as long as as long as this guy has. So I'm sure there's more to this scouting department, to their pro scouting department, but it is kind of odd. At least I thought off offhand that it was kind of odd how small it was. Um. And it seems like there's a ton of gaps, like they have a director, someone was. You know, the, the director in Eric Crawford. They have someone responsible for goalies and Russians in uh, Riondo. And then they have someone responsible for the West in Eric Reed. Or what is it? Reed Simpson, rather. My mistake. And then Hanu Laine in Europe. Uh, I, I'm sort of... I, I sort of think that there are other scouts there that we're not hearing. Because, like, there's no East scout. There's no Canadian scout. There's just scouts. So I wanted to look like, you know, at other teams that are, um, you know, that are go that are you know much further along in their rebuilds to see, or not even rebuilds; these are contenders, to see like you know what they they thought, what they think of building that department, what what they have built out. Um, Colorado has a director and five scouts, one of which is a European scout. So six total um, scouts, if you're counting the director as a scout. Tampa Bay has eight pro scouts, four of which are European scouts, and one is a goalie scout, so nine scouts. Boston has a director of pro scouting and three pro scouts with one focused in Europe. The Rangers, who are important to this discussion due to the Jeff Gordon connection, have three pro scouts and a European pro scout. So from a team size standpoint, it doesn't really seem like there's any consistency across the league. Um, but as this team grows and turns from a rebuilding into a contender, this pro scouting department is going to be massively important for the success of this hockey team. How do they handle the trade deadline? How do they handle free agency? How do they handle waiver claims? How do they handle all of those things when the goal isn't to trade out NHL pros and get back future assets? When, it, when that role flips... What is this department going to look like? And what is this de department going to do? Um, you know, 
that's especially important for next season for the same reason it was important at the beginning of this season. Um, the Canadians are going to be a bottom 10, maybe bottom 5 team this year. That means next season, when the season starts, they will have a high waiver priority to kick off the year. And that's important at the beginning of the season because so many so many teams make training camp cuts and they have to cut guys and send them down to the AHL when they don't have the ability to go down to the AHL. That's how the Canadians landed Jonathan Kovacevic, is that they... The Jets needed to needed to send him to the AHL. They couldn't. Montreal had the top waiver priority. They claimed him. So it, it could be as you know as much as you know getting a an extra depth piece off of waivers, but that's going to transition pretty quickly. Maybe not next season, but the season following that. How are they building? How are they adding to a team that's already constructed? And you know, it's just in compare. Like you know, going back to talking about you know, the, the size of the team, just comparing it to their amateur scouting department. Their, the Canadians' own amateur scouting department is made up of a chief European scout, an international crossover scout, a general Canadian scout, a Quebec scout, an Ontario scout, a Sweden scout, and an Eastern scout. For, for, <laughs> for Europe, for amateur scouting, they have four different scouts. And in pro scouting, there's one. So I guess maybe there's just not there's not much of a of a market for that. Like there's not a ton of guys who are playing pro somewhere in Europe who the Canadians are trying to get. Um, you know, a guy like uh, what's his name, Pius Suter, out of uh, I think he's playing for Detroit. He was a guy that was picked up out of a European league um, over the last few years. So there are there are gems to be found over there. Um, it just seems like the Canadians might not have that that many boots on the ground, so to speak. Um, and I wonder, you know, how much impact uh, input the Canadians new hockey analytics department has in regards to pro scouting. We know they have a seat at the table when they're talking about draft boards. We saw it in, in that video that the Canadians put out after the draft, Christopher Boucher was there talking about, you know, um, I think it was in regards to, to picking Slavkovsky first, you know, if you go size at one, and it stops you from going size further down the draft board, I'm fine with that. And that's ultimately what ended up happening. Um, if they had a more active trade deadline, I would have liked to have seen what their war room was like. We've seen other teams do it. I know Minnesota did videos this year, um, so it can be done. We've seen similar things done on July 1st when free, free agency opens. The Blue Jackets did it last summer when they signed um, Johnny Gaudreau. So these things are possible. Um, it's just a matter of how much insight they want to give us. Uh, part of me thinks this entire conversation was too granular, but that's sort of what this show is here for, right? Like trying to figure out what Kent Hughes and Jeff Gorton are thinking and how they are moving this team closer to winning a Stanley Cup. I'm interested to see how this develops over the next few years because it is going to become a a, a point where the Canadians have to trade futures to get NHL assets now. That time is not now, but that time will come soon. All right. Uh, it's not a new episode of The Build unless we are talking about injuries. So let's talk about injuries. Um, just before I started recording, Christian Dvorak's season ended. Montreal announced on Wednesday afternoon that Christian Dvorak had season-ending knee surgery in New York. Um, they expect him to be ready for the start of next season, where he looks like he'll be the Canadians' third-line center <laughs> again. Um, it's a disappointing season for Dvorak, you know, 
Injury aside, I'm not blaming him for the injury. Um, but when he was healthy, especially at the beginning of this season, he kind of had a, a really sweet gig. Like, especially when, you know, Doc started to take off. And whenever they ran three centers of Suzuki, Doc, and uh, Dvorak, you know, Dvorak should have feasted on those matchups a little bit more than he ended up doing. They didn't run that that setup long, but then again, like, even if he's the second-line center, like, he should have, I feel like he should have had far more offense than he ended up having. Um, and I, I think in, in a lot of respects, he was outplayed by Jake Evans. You know, it's a shame that he's also out with a, with a leg injury. But, you know, we we look back at the Kotkaniemi offer sheet and, you know, we just saw Kotkaniemi in Montreal score the shootout winner. And it was very funny. I I very much enjoyed that moment. I was kind of, I was sitting at home watching and, and, and basically begging them to put Kotkaniemi in because it just, it just felt like that would end the game, right? Um, but, you, you, you know, we look at that and it, it's hard to say that the Canadians did anything but mismanage that entire situation. Like the, the, the fact that they let the player get to that point, the fact that they then took the assets from that draft from the that that compensation and they flipped it for um, immediate help in Christian Dvorak and they vastly overpaid for Christian Dvorak. And not only that, so that was the first time that Mark Bergevin ever traded a first round pick. It had never happened and it did not happen again. He lottery protected it. So that that trade ended up being whichever pick between Montreal and and um, Carolina's pick, whichever one is less valuable, you get as Arizona. And because of that, like not to say that that Montreal could have traded the first overall pick because that was that ultimately ended up being their pick. But throughout the season, it kept them from trading that pick. It probably saved them from themselves, honestly, but. I digress. That's it's it's not the conversation we're having. Um, hoping that you know Dvorak rests up and is ready for next season because um, there's competition coming in the form of of center Iceman. Um, before we know it, Owen Beck will be here. Sean Farrell, who I think will play center in the NHL, he might be a winger, um, but I'm sure they'd like to see him at center. So he's got to rest up, otherwise he might not have a spot. Um, Kirby Doc remains out indefinitely. They didn't even list a reason in his last medical update. Just he's out and they don't know when he'll be back. Uh, this stinks because he was having a real breakout season. You got to think that whatever he's dealing with is pretty gnarly. Uh, Brennan Gallagher, as of March 9th, will be out for three to four weeks. So his season isn't technically over yet, but any minor setback in this recovery will likely end his season. Um, Jordan Harris is dealing with a lower body injury. Uh, that has kept him out the last few games. I, there's, I don't know that there's even been a timetable on his return, but at this point, who cares? Just keep him out. If he, if he's even the slightest bit hurt, there's no reason to play him at this point. Um, and all of this could change by the time the Canadians play again tomorrow. Um, all right, we haven't done this in a while. We'll go to the building blocks and the drawing board, and then we'll get out of here. Um, first, only one drawing board here. We're going to send the month of March back to the drawing board. Um, not really because it was entirely expected to be this tough and it's good for the tank. Um, but I've been saying for like a few months now that March was going to be 
um, the defining period for this Canadian's tank. Um, they had a murderer's row of, of opponents. Their injury list continues to pile up. Um, and we are exactly halfway through the month. They have 16 games in March. They've played eight. They have one win in those eight tries. They have two loser points to go along with it. So they've got four points out of a possible 16. So 25% of the points the Canadians have been able to get. Um, that means they're on pace for about eight points over the span of the entire month out of 32 possible points. They head to Florida next. They've got the Panthers and Tampa on the road. Then Tampa at home to finish out the home and home with the Lightning. And then Boston on the road. And then the schedule eases up at the end of March. Um, there's some big tank implication games there with Columbus, Buffalo, Philly on the second half of a back-to-back. Montreal is on the second half of a back-to-back, that is. And then back to the Panthers. They've got some tough games in April. There's not many games because it's April. But um, they got they have the Leafs. They have the Bruins. They have um, Carolina. Like They've got some tough matchups in April as well. I know fans are... You know, we're we're white-knuckling watching them pick up points. They're going to lose their fair share. I, I think they've... I think I don't think that they go up that many, that many places in the draft lottery at this point. Um, up or down, they're kind of baked in. I think that they can finish as low as four. It's not likely they finish four. It's probably five, six, or seven is where they're going to finish. And then, you know, they might be moved up or down depending on the lottery. So my my official stance on this has been... I think I said it last time, and I'm going to keep saying it until this draft lottery happens. On May 8th, they announced the the date of that. I cannot control any of this, and therefore it is not worth my getting upset over. Um, The Canadians are going to pick wherever they pick. You know? There is, I think I think I calculated this the other day, there's a 38% chance that a team outside the top five wins the draft lottery, which is not insignificant. You know? So, I'm not even saying to be optimistic about the draft lottery because it's a lottery. Anything can happen. But I just, I can't, I can't get to a point where I'm like freaking out during games because they're, they're in them, you know? There's always two teams on the ice. Like the Pittsburgh game was a prime example of, of this because like, you know, everyone goes to money puck and they look at the expected goals and yep, the, the Penguins should win this one 10 times over because they had more expected goals. And yeah, they did. Absolutely. But they also turned a lot of those expected goals into goals. I think they had like five expected and they scored four. Meanwhile, like the Penguins goaltending spotted the Canadians four goals. They just gave them four goals that they didn't earn. So, like, how are you supposed to lose? I don't understand. It's whatever. Um, you know, so relax. They're going to pick where they pick. They're going to get a good player. They're going to get two good players because they're going to get someone with that Florida pick as well. Maybe they use the Florida pick to trade back up and go up further in the in the draft. Who knows? A lot can happen between now and then. So chill out. Um, building blocks. couple here. Uh, Lane Hudson. Is going to be on this list a lot. He was named Hockey East Rookie of the Year, which should surprise no one. Um, I wonder if once his season is over, if he heads to Montreal, the Bernie year of his entry-level contract. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he went back to school for another year. But, man, it's it's exciting watching this kid play. Um, obviously, some there's still some defensive warts. I watched his game 
uh, parts of his game against uh, Vermont this last weekend. Um, and he was good. Like, he, he moves the puck well. He's out there for a couple goals against. He looks kind of tough in the corners and in front of his own net. But he's 5'10". That was, when you drafted him, that was always part of it, right? The frustrating thing that, that we can't let happen with, with Lane Hudson is they can't expect him to play like Joel Edmondson, which is what doomed a Victor Mete in the past, right? Is like they had a fast, smooth skating defenseman who can move the puck and they tried, they were like, you need to, he needs to be stronger in front of his own net. Well, you drafted a guy who's five foot 10. If you drafted a guy who's five foot 10 and you expected him to play in front of the net, like he's a Dana Chara, it's not the defenseman's fault. But I think his, I think his upside is just so fantastic that, any any kind of defensive warts we're just gonna you know not overlook but you know say oh he's working on him and he'll be you know it, we'll just we'll deal with those when he's putting up 60 70 point seasons um Jesse Ulinen on game over Montreal after the Ducks game um I was on with Mark Dumont and we kind of talked about how Ulinen hasn't really made much of an impact in his time in Montreal this season. He he kind of has just flown under the radar. He hasn't been spectacular. There have been nights where you don't even realize he's there. Um, with an influx of talent on the way, like that could be a not a death sentence for him, but like he's fighting for a roster spot next year. Um, he's got two goals. He's got goals in two straight games, I should say. So. Perhaps he's starting to put it together, and maybe this can be something for him to build on moving forward. Um, because he what he hasn't been all that spectacular, um, given that he should be further ahead of a lot of these young guys, and he's not. So interesting to see how that plays off. But hopefully, those two games with with goals um, kickstart something for him. Uh, last one, Dennis Gurionov. Uh, I talk about this guy a lot since <laughs> since they, they traded for him because it's the only shiny new toy we got. There's still a lot to work on, but the stuff he does well, he does really well. Um, he's got pretty decent hands. He's got a really good shot. He shoots a lot. We saw this on... We see this every night when he's playing, like, he's shooting the puck a ton. Um, and we saw his good hands, and his, he had a good backhander against Pittsburgh on his goal where he went to the net hard and, and kind of just put it past the um the defense or the the goaltender inside the post he's a fast skater for a guy that size his play away from the puck leaves something to be desired but like with like how i just talked about lane hudson focusing on what a player can do and trying to get the most out of him is what this team ought to be doing with their time and ought to be doing in their development yeah you you work on the this their their shortcomings obviously but you don't you don't try to change what kind of player they are. You like you try to add on to what they're doing. Um, if they can do that with Gurionov and they turn him into a third liner, you know, with some power play two upside, maybe clean up a little bit in his own zone, clean up his play away from the puck. They've got a really serviceable player there. And they got it for a guy that they got it, you know, two trades removed for a guy who's never going to play again in Shea Weber. So Pretty nice work there. Um, I've liked what I've seen so far. I mean, he's still frustrating from time to time, but Gurionov um, is making the most of his uh, his audition here towards the end of the season. All right, that's all I got. I thought it was going to be a shorter episode, but we uh, we talked about Eric Fichot for a long time. Uh, that's, that's it for this one. Thanks again for listening. I appreciate um, everyone who takes the time to listen. 
Um, I re like Spotify, um, as you may know, they bought Anchor some time ago, and now Anchor is now Spotify for podcasters. There's probably a new ad read at the beginning of this episode for just that. Um, on Spotify, you can leave comments uh, on, on these episodes. I read all of them. So whatever ones I get, um, I'm very appreciative of them. It, you know, when you take the time out of your day to, to you know, write that you like something, it, it, it matters. So um, thanks for doing that. I've, I, I've said for a long time on this show, you know, with, with the content you consume, you vote with your, your wallet and you vote with your time. Um, I'm not taking any of your money, but the time that you give me is very appreciated. So thank you. Um, if you want more of me, you can see me on Twitter at maybe it's Ian, um, at rabbit Hamps for the blog that doesn't really exist anymore. Uh, and that's it. The music you heard at the beginning of the show and are hearing right now is inside by Fred Mug. Check the link in the description to head over to his Bandcamp page and check out the rest of his work. All right, guys, until next time, take care. See ya.